0: Palm Sunday, not Passover Sunday, is what we've celebrated today. And you know what? God moved. He did more today than what I could have ever done preaching. But he gave me this word for a reason. So tonight we're going to read this word and we're going to get into it just a little bit. Mark chapter 11, verse number 7 in the New King James Version. It says, then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it and he sat on it, and many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leaf, leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed, blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna means Save or saved. Hallelujah. And saved to the highest. We're talking about Jehovah again. <laughs> Praise God. Father, we thank you, Lord, right now as we come to you. I ask you, Lord, to anoint me with the Holy Spirit that we may preach your word with boldness. And God, help us to understand your word tonight. I ask you, Lord, to open our eyes and your ears to understanding. Let the seed of the word go down deep. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. I want to preach for just a few moments with the subject. While we're celebrating, he's looking. He's still looking. Jesus is looking. You think, what's this title? I'm going to show you here in just a minute. We know that while the people were crying out for Jesus to save them, they were saying Hosanna, it was more about him saving them from the dominance of the Roman Empire. All right? Sometimes that's the way we are. God, you know, save me from this situation. Save me from this and that. All the while, he's trying to save our soul. Well, the people wanted freedom from the Roman Empire. They wanted a champion. They wanted a warrior. They wanted a general to ride in. Right? Set them free from their oppressor, namely Caesar. And the whole Roman government. Jesus wanted to be their savior. But not in the external way. But the internal way. He wanted a spiritual. Save. He wanted to save them spiritually. Well. Jesus riding on a colt into Jerusalem. Was his signal. Trying to tell them that he was. This kind of conquering king. For their spiritual condition. Not a military force. He would be a humble servant. Jesus was fulfilling prophecy over 400 years before, been prophesied by Zechariah 9 and 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. It was prophesied. They wanted a Messiah, and they wanted their Messiah to be a military force against the Roman government. Everybody understanding this? Jesus being a spiritual champion to them was not on the radar. They wasn't thinking that way. They were thinking we need somebody, we need some big tough guys to come in here and rough these people up. That's what we'd be looking, we'd be looking for the bodyguard. Somebody with a lot of guns and tanks and different things to come in. The people wanted the Messiah that would free them politically. Jesus wanted to free them spiritually by releasing them from the sin bondage they were in. Amen. The people were looking for a revolutionary who would overthrow the, role, the rule of Rome. But Jesus was bringing them a revolution in their spirit, man. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jesus was coming with a completely different kingdom than they expected. Wow. The familiar part of this story is Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt that's never been ridden. If you go back in the book of Mark and, and go to chapter 11, start reading it, you'll find out. He sends out his disciples. Most scholars believe it was Peter and John. They say he sends them out to the city which uh, is next to him and says, go there, you'll find a colt. And if they ask why you need it, you just tell them uh, that the Lord needs it. That's pretty powerful right there. I I skipped over that part, but I wanted you to understand what what we're talking about here. And uh, so anyway, they throw their coats on on this colt, never been ridden. Jesus gets on top. He's riding this, this colt with people throwing their colts, palm leaves, branches. They're throwing things. They're screaming and shouting, Hosanna to the highest. And this colt's just letting it happen. I, I, this is not really just part of my sermon, but I, just, I read that. I thought, that's unreal. That's just that Jesus, He's already showed he has power over the elements, right? He's already shown that. Now he has, he's showing he has power over the animals, I think probably should have been bucking and laying down and doing whatever. I don't know. I haven't rode a donkey. But I'm sure it wasn't tame, you know. Well, I think that's amazing. But what I find more interesting is what Jesus does after he arrives in Jerusalem. What Jesus does reveals us his true priorities. All right. His priority was to deal with those things that mattered the most. The spiritual condition of the hearts of the people. That's what he came to do. That's what he was going to deal with. That's what mattered the most to him. And it also reveals to us just who needs to be dealt with the most. I'm going to go on. Those who are religious. Those that claim God as their God. After he arrived in Jerusalem... I want you to notice what Jesus did first. We didn't read it yet, but I'm going to read it right here. Mark 11 and 11. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. The first thing he did, he went into the temple. How many knew that? All right. So when he had looked around, there's where I get my title, he looked around at all things. As the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve, how many know the story? You know that Jesus come back. He turns over tables there. How many knows that story? You ever wonder why he didn't turn over the tables right then? Anyone? You ever wonder that? I'm going to tell you why. I, I believe this is what I believe. I believe the reason why he didn't turn over tables right then, when he's seen it, is because all these people just come with him, rejoicing and everything. If he'd have did something like that, at that point, that had a mob scene in there. Everybody would be throwing things. They, we got you, Jesus. We're going we're gonna to help you out with this thing. That have destroyed the place. That's what I believe. <laughs> Jesus was looking. How many believe that God is still looking around today? Do you believe that God still knows the hearts of man? He's still looking in the hearts of man. Amen. After riding through town on Palm Sunday and hearing the celebration of the crowd, one could assume that Jerusalem was a happening place. That's a cool place. Look at them. They're bringing in the Messiah. That would have been exciting. Thinking, well, they got their priorities right. If You think about it, the people gathered to celebrate Jesus. You don't see that every day. Look around you right now. We celebrated Jesus this morning. That was enough for some. Oh, I'll get back. That wasn't in my notes. I'm sorry. That's still good. Jesus knew everyone wasn't for him. And that celebratory uh, crowd, he knew everybody wasn't for him. That many were, that even the ones that was for him, they didn't understand why he was there. He knew that too. Well, in any crowd like there, there's always going to be naysayers. There's going to be people that's just there to see what's happening. I just heard, you know, a bunch of noise, so I come to check it out. And they jump in, they, they get involved Maybe. Some people just get theirs because they want to be John Lee Raincloud. They want to see what's going on, then they not want to complain about it. Delilah Downer, I changed the name. I, I know somebody here in the, you know, around that her name is Debbie, so I thought, I'm going to change that. It's Delilah Downer now. Jesus knows what he's dealing with. He understands there are things that are in need of attention. That's why he looks around. He searches deeper. Look at this. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He asked the question, who can know it? I got the answer. The Next verse. I, the Lord. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. Wow. You see, God is always looking at the hearts of our lives. Even when you're by yourself, you don't think anyone else is looking. God still knows. God's still looking. God's always looking at our hearts and lives. He sees the true intent and motivations that we have. Boy, there's a good one right there. The motivations we have sometimes. It may look good on the outside, but our motivations may not be what they appear. You might think that you have everyone fooled about you, but God is not fooled. You can't hide from God. You can run, but you can't hide. Ask Jonah about that. Jesus, he's looking. He's looking. That's what Jesus is doing here. And when he takes a peek into the temple that day after all the celebration, he is looking at the conditions of the heart of the people there. He's looking into the temple now to check it out. He wants to know what's really going on. In fact, I see it like this. Jesus is looking behind the mask of the celebration to see the true heart of the people in Jerusalem. What's really going on? Are they really serving God? Are they really praising God? In particular, what are the religious people doing? Let's just go into the temple and let's check it out. They claim to know me. They claim to know God, and I'm the Messiah. Well, It's as if Jesus was taking a moment to do some quality testing. He wanted to check it out. Take an inventory of what's happening in this temple. I want to tell you something here tonight. We still need to invite the Holy Spirit on a regular basis to check our hearts out. Amen. Listen at this. And the reason why I just said what I said, 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. You Bible scholars already know this. It says this, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You are the temple. Jesus came and and he, he searched out. He took a peek into the temple there in Jerusalem, a physical building. But Jesus is still looking into our hearts. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. And you are not your own. How many knew you wasn't your own? I'm going to tell you right now, if you get married, you're not your own. And we laugh about that kind of thing. That's what the Bible says, too. Your body is not your husband. Your body is not yours. It's your wife. Wife, Your body is not yours. It's your husband's. That's what the Bible says. Talk to me if you're about to get married. I'll just let you know about that. I believe Jesus has every right to be talking And to be taking a look at the conditions of our lives, our hearts, and the condition of our temple. I never wanted my mom and dad to look into my room to see if it was clean. I didn't. When I knew I was supposed to have my room clean and I would hear them coming, oh my word, I could throw things under my bed about as fast as anybody you've ever seen. I could hide it in my closet put it behind my dresser. I could hide some things. I didn't want them to see my room undone. I didn't want to get in trouble. I wanted it to appear that everything was clean, everything was right, everything was going exactly how they, they wanted it. I really wanted to deceive them into thinking I was the greatest child they ever had and they could put the others up for adoption. That's, I thought maybe that plan would work. What was Jesus looking for in the temple? What does he look at when he's looking into our heart? What's he looking for? There's two things in particular that he wants to see. The day after Palm Sunday, Jesus follows through to deal with some of these things. These things may seem strange and even out of character for Jesus and completely unrelated, but I'm going to tell you they're, they're intertwined. Okay? I want you to know they're intertwined. Out of character for Jesus because he curses something and gets angry. I didn't say he uses a curse word. He cursed a fig tree to die. It's related to our story, and I want to show you, show it to you right here. He gets angry. It's a righteous angry when he turns over the tables. It seems unrelated because he was dealing with the fig tree and the people in the temple. But I want you to hear this right now. Mark 11, chapter, chapter number 11, verse number 12. Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany... He, talking about Jesus, was hungry. Jesus is hungry here. How many knows he was all man? He still had an appetite. He still needed to eat. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he could find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. That's the curse. And his disciples heard him. They heard what he said. It's an interesting term, and it's an interesting turn of events when we see this happening here in the Bible. Jesus walks up to a fig tree and he doesn't find any figs. But the Bible said there, it wasn't the season for the figs. He turns to curse it for not having fruit. Seems strange to me. How about you? That, that seems strange to me. Someone may ask, why did Jesus make the, why didn't he just make it fruitful? He was hungry. He, you know, he had all power. Why, why, he was all man. He was all God. Why didn't he just make fruit come on that tree? I want to I tell you something. First of all, Jesus is using the tree as an example. The second thing is, Jesus never performed a miracle for himself. When you find it in the Bible, come tell me about it, because he didn't perform a miracle for himself. It was always for others. The problem is that the fig tree gave an appearance of bearing fruit. Did you catch that? From afar off, it had the leaves. It appeared to have fruit. But in reality, it wouldn't wouldn't have any fruit at all. And that is just the problem that can be found in the believers today. I'm telling you, it was an example. Here's one of the things Jesus is looking for in each one of us. Jesus is looking for fruit. He's looking for fruit. Well, listen to this. Colossians 1.10. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. John 15 and 16. You, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, that he may give you. Titus three fourteen, And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. Jesus wants us to be fruitful. When he looks at us, he wants to see fruit. When he goes into our temple, he wants to see fruit. Not just a bunch of leaves that appear Like something's going on time and time again through the teaching of the scriptures. And Jesus himself, we learn that fruit should come from our lives living for Christ. Do you have good fruit growing in your life? Don't answer me. Just keep that for yourself. Are you bearing fruit that brings glory to Jesus? Again, it's a rhetorical question. Or is Jesus looking around for fruit from your life? Well... We all need to ask them questions of ourselves. Remember that Jesus didn't just do this to this poor def- defenseless uh, fig tree. That wasn't, that wasn't the thing. He didn't do it for nothing. He was making a statement through this very real illustration. Just like on Palm Sunday, there were people who flooded the streets shouting praises and celebrating Jesus, the Messiah. There was leaves on the tree. But there wasn't any fruit. It would only be a matter of days before some of this crowd would go from shouting Hosanna to shouting crucify him. Like the fig tree, from afar off the leaves were a promise of fruit being present, yet there was no fruit. The shouts of praise and celebration on Palm Sunday could lead one to believe that true faith was there. And I'm sure there were some, but there was no fruit of that in their lives. I'm here to tell you tonight, Jesus is still looking for fruit in our lives. It may seem old-fashioned, but it still rings true. Jesus is still looking for fruit in your life. Well, I'm saved. I'm I'm on my way to heaven. I I repented of my sins, and so that's all there is. No, Jesus is looking for fruit in your life. What are you doing for him? Now, about a while back, a few months ago, it was just hammering on me. The Great Commission, what are, we, what are we doing? We're supposed to be showing fruit. We're supposed to be doing what he told us to do. Listen at this, Matthew 7 and 17. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Well, I don't even want to go here, but I feel like the unction. We get this thing all the time. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Let me t- let me give you a little secret. I see a dead, dried tree. I may have seen this tree down here a few weeks ago. The wind blew down, and part of it's still just flourishing. Then other part is dead. I'm not a rocket scientist, but I can see that tree is dead. I can. Part of it's still alive, but that big old limb, it's dead. I can tell when a tree is dead. So don't, don't somebody come and say, well, don't judge me for this. You can see when somebody's dead and they're not producing fruit. And then you can also see those that are produce, producing bad fruit. That's not your job to condemn them to hell and say, well, you know what, this is what's going to happen to you, blah, 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 blah. Your job is to pray for that person. Your job is to help that person, to love that person. Amen? A bad tree will bear bad fruit. Either way, you're, you will bear fruit some kind. There's going to be some kind of fruit in your life. Wow. Jesus is looking for good fruit. There's no doubt that Jesus comes by our lives, your life, my life looking to see fruit. He's he's checking us out. Hourly we may have all sorts of leaves. We are full of Christian activities. And we say the proper words in the Christian way. We look like we have it all together, but we're just going through the motions, maybe. Now, I know you're the Sunday night crowd, and you're here, and you're faithful, and so I'll, Pastor, why are you giving us this tonight? Hey, use this. Use it for yourself to understand the enemy's still here to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't let him kill your fruit. Amen? After close inspection of our lives, as Jesus takes a look, are we fruitful Or is it obvious to him that we don't have fruit? Well, is there any evidence of fruit in your life? Ask it of yourself. Man, I like to ask these questions by myself because I don't want Jesus to ask me that. I want to ask that of myself. He isn't just looking for fruit because Jesus was also passionate about something else. Listen to this, Mark 11 and 15. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares or vessels through the temple. Don't misunderstand me, okay? This, to be an event where Jesus just went crazy and, and needlessly goes in and throws over tables, that's not what happened. Okay? Does everybody understand that? Okay. This moment was much more than that. I want you to understand this. I'm sure that this whole thing with selling items in the temple was probably started innocently. All right. You have to understand, they're coming, and they're going to offer sacrifice, and they're coming from a long ways off and everything, and a lot of these people didn't have animals there. There was also some Jewish traditions back then where they wouldn't accept money in the church, in the temple that had a face on it. We still do. I'm just telling you. <laughs> if it doesn't have a face, I don't know if we take that or not. So, so they, they had money changers there for a reason. So they could they, they get the, the, the temple uh, money and everything. But anyway, I just want you to understand what was going on here. And so I, I don't believe that it was just just something that they were just being evil about it, to start with anyway. They were there to meet the need of those who were traveling from afar off and in a way to provide suitable sacrifice for those that didn't have one. A place to exchange their currency for the temple tax. They should have just went fishing. That's what Jesus did. But like anything left unchecked, it can spin out of control, which is just what Jesus noticed. The other problem was that this business was taking the place in the court of the Gentiles, the place where any non-Jew would gather into the temple, a particular place. It's a particular place. But they repurposed the room, and they crowded it. They crowded out everyone from coming in. That's what they did. The problem here, this business had crowded Jesus right out of his rightful place. And he realized what was going on. I had her sing tonight, I will make room for you. There was no room for Jesus in that temple. They'd crowded him out. If we're honest with ourselves, there are times we've allowed our activities, our hobbies, our habits, addictions, or business to crowd out Jesus of his rightful place in us. We have. I'll ask that question again. Are there things in your life that's been left unchecked? Items that have crowded out Jesus and his rightful place in you. Maybe that's video games. Hmm. Hmm. First says that. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe it's video games that's crowded. Maybe it's baseball that's crowded Jesus out. You can put anything in there. You know you. Be honest with yourself. Let me tell you, turn the tables over and give Jesus his place of honor in your life. Turn the tables over. Get rid of the things that's causing there to be no room for him in your life. Listen to this. The very first of the Ten Commandments, how many of you remember the Ten Commandments? They're, they're still there. They're not suggestions. They're commandments. The very first one, how many knows what it is? Anybody? Shout it out. Oh, the preacher got it up there. Exodus 20 and 3 says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first one. No other gods before me. What's crowding out Jesus is a God in your life. Pastor, this is rough preaching for Sunday. I just wanted to come here and get the joy of the Lord in me. This is going to help you. This is going to help you. Making room for Jesus in our life. Not just enough room, but the very best in the first place room. (laughs) The challenge is this. Everything else in our life is fighting for this room. Everything in our life is fighting for your attention. And if you let it in, it soon crowds out Jesus. Now, pastor, we live in this world and we've got to do this. I understand that. God wants you to be uh, fruitful. He wants you to make room for him. He knows you had to have a job. He knows all these things. I'm talking about spiritual issues in your life. That being the case, there's times we need to take inventory of our hearts and disconnect ourselves from the things that hinder us and put a stop on the things that squeeze Jesus out of our hearts. Amen? Can you think of something that's taken up too much room in your life? I can. Are you prepared to clear out the things that are in the way? We need to be. As you think about it, I don't want you to minimize the issue either. Jesus saw the dilemma to be a big issue. It was a big issue in Jesus' eyes. That he was willing to bring the events of the temple to a complete halt. We're stopping everything. No more sacrifices is what he was in essence saying. Well... He even brought them back to their history in Mark 11, chapter chapter 11, verse 17. Then he taught them, saying, Is it not written, My house should be called the house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it into a den of thieves? And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. Wow. Last thing I want to leave you with. Jesus is looking at our roots. He's looking at our roots. Listen at this. Mark 11, verse number 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter remembering said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Wow. Wow. First thing I want to say, I don't want Jesus to curse anything in my life. Because when he curses it, it's gonna die. The roots. Roots are the secret place of the tree. They are in a place that no one sees. And at the same goes it goes for the same thing for me and you. There's roots in our life. There's things in our lives that no one else sees. What makes you you? There's roots from that. Good, bad, and ugly. Well, there's those places that no one sees, but they have an impact on who we are. They represent the motives we have and the character that resides in us. Again, what's your roots look like? Are they dry and weary? Could they be diseased and withering away? If so, it may may not appear on the surface just yet. What it tells me is when Jesus cursed that tree and they walked on by it, the leaves were still there. But when they came back the next day, there wasn't anything there. It had died. It had withered up. Well, would you stand with me? I want to tell you, we need to disconnect from those areas of our life that crowd Jesus out and hinder our faithfulness to him. As full as your life may feel, you're still empty without Jesus. We are. The people shouted Hosanna on Palm Sunday, but still they missed the point. <laughs> they didn't understand why he was there. The fig tree had the appearance of fruit, but there was none to be found. The temple had lots of activity, but still made no room for Jesus. My challenge to us is, Let's not repeat history. Let's not repeat history. Let's make room for Jesus. Let's show fruit in our lives, good fruit in our lives. Father, I thank you for your word. I ask you, Lord, to uh, touch each and every one of us, Lord. Let us hear your words. Let it go deep in our heart. I ask you, Lord, let it minister to us. Lord, keep bringing it back to our mind, Father. Here in the book of Mark, you, you tell the story. And I know it's in the other gospels, but I love it right here in this It it brings it out. It brings it right in front of us. It confronts my spirit, man. I ask you today, Lord, that I make room in my life for you, that when you look at me, Father, you see fruit. You see good fruit in our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. I'm going to ask you tonight. As she sings, you find your place to pray. You can stand there and worship with her, whatever you want to do. But I want you to meditate and talk to the Lord. Let Him talk to you. God, is my life what you want it to be? Is there fruit in my life that you want it to be, like you want it to be? Have I made room for you in my life like you want it?